Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 55 of the Lawyerist Podcast, where we talk with Mike Vra about unbundled legal services and helping clients who want to represent themselves. Today's podcast is sponsored by Clio. Lawyers, it's time to let your mind do what it was trained to do, practice law. You need Clio, the leading legal practice management software to help take care of the business side of running your practice. Find out more and sign up for a free trial at Clio.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. Ruby answers our phones here at Lawyerists, so we don't have to worry about getting interrupted and we can be more productive. And we love the job they do for us. You can visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. If you enjoy this show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on support the podcast to help us keep new episodes coming every week. So Sam, you wrote a new lawyering survival guide this week. I did. I'm really excited about it. Um, I, I put a ton of work into these and it's kind of fun to see them come out. So this is the guide to how to set up a new Windows computer. Ooh, fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's fun, but there. every time I set up a Windows computer, there's like a, a kind of a system that I go through. And so I finally just sort of wrote it all down for everybody because every time I see somebody with a new Windows computer, it's always just loaded down with crapware and you know, you, you have it for a year and then you already start feeling like it's slow. And so I just wanted to show everybody how to get a good Windows experience from the get-go by removing all that crap, getting all the, the basic security and backup stuff buttoned up from the get-go. And and so I'm I think this is a good a good sort of launch pad for a Windows computer that, that people will find really useful. So you're suggesting that a law practice shouldn't be using the HP desktop launcher to then click through their Norton security trial to yeah. practice law every morning? Yeah, n- no. <laughs> yeah, actually, bringing up Norton security is a good one because um, you can't actually just uninstall it. Um, so I kind of uh, I, I went and dug up the links for how to actually extract it from and peel all of its tentacles out of your system so that it can actually run and the the basic Microsoft Windows Defender antivirus works just fine. <laughs> so um, all those all those little things. I have to guess that some huge portion of lawyers who just start running their computers out of the box are probably spending 15 or 20 seconds every single morning clicking through alert boxes and trial offers and things that from the stuff that they don't even know how to get rid of. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that one time we sat down uh, next to someone's computer because they wanted to show us something um, and half of the screen was obscured by toolbars? Yeah, like literally the browser <laughs> window, which of course was Internet Explorer, had so many toolbars that the actual viewing pane in the browser was less than half the screen. And Because this person had clearly just like said yes to every single offer to download something they had ever seen. Yeah. And so that's what this guide is about, is about kind of um, scouring your new com- brand new computer clean, getting it all updated, um, scanning it for viruses, encrypting your hard drive, creating a, some restore points, um, getting all your software and files on in place, 
Let's back it all up and then let's wipe your old computer's hard drive so that your client information isn't floating around there, um, out there on an old hard drive. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really useful. It, it, it's the kind of thing where you can just open it up and, and walk through the steps with your new computer and then you'll get a shiny new computer. And just to clarify, this is for Windows computers. Um, we yeah, it begs, about- it begs the question, what's yeah. the guide for Macs? Um, there, the problem is there's not a whole lot to do with the Mac because there isn't the same um, thing out there where you've got all kinds of third-party vendors paying manufacturers to put their crap on the new computers because Apple, you know, produces the hardware and the software. Um, and and I don't want this to sound like a Mac superiority thing, but to set up a Mac, you mostly just need to open it up. <laughs> There's not, you don't need to do the same stuff. So on, I've decided not to do a Mac setup guide for now. Um, but there are some things that I think are a good idea for Mac users. And, and we might do a, a shorter guide at some point. Or an April Fool's guide. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, so I don't mean that to sound like, yay, Macs are better. Um, I like Macs. I use Macs. Um, but, uh, but I probably won't be doing a new Mac setup guide anytime soon. But this one is now available on our site at lawyerist.com slash guides. And if you use the coupon code podcast, you can get 50% off your order. What a deal. And now here's my conversation with Mike. Hi, I'm Mike Vra. I'm an attorney at a nonprofit called Homeline, where I've worked since 1996. I have advised over 30,000 clients in my career uh, and given a, over 1,000 speeches on landlord-tenant law in the state of Minnesota. Uh, and you've left out the, the interesting part that has nothing to do with Homeline or our podcast today. You are a recently published novelist for the first time. That's right. Uh, I, I published my no- uh, novel yesterday, uh, which was Groundhog Day, depending on when you're hearing this. Um, and uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, I, the nonprofit I mentioned, I'm actually donating all the proceeds from the book to Homeline. So if you have a minute, check out Celebrity Bounty is the name of the, the book. There's no other books named Celebrity Bounty, I think, ever. So <laughs> that's a you good, won't be that's confused good. about which one it is. <laughs> That's awesome. It, it, it's a good book. I've, I haven't finished it, but I've started it and I couldn't put it down. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can just look up Celebrity Bounty and I'm sure I will put a link in our show notes too. Um, and all the proceeds go to a good cause. So support Homeline by Celebrity Bounty. Um, so that's not what we're going to talk about for the rest of this podcast. What, the, what we're going to talk about is how to help people who would either for good reasons or poor reasons would like to handle their legal issue themselves. Um, I, a lot of people call that assisted pro se now. Um, so t- t- Mike, first of all, let's, why don't you start out by saying how this comes into what you do? It's most of what you do, right? It, it is most of what I do. The, the place I work is, uh, at its core, it's a, a tenant hotline where we advise renters over the phone. Again, we cover the entire state of Minnesota. We take about 15,000 calls a year and our mission has always been to try to help people assert their own rights. Um, Landlord-tenant law in general is one of those arenas where uh, somebody can assert their own rights, uh, whether it's a landlord or a tenant, frankly. Um, And there's often not a whole lot of incentive for them to hire a lawyer. Well, you're right, absolutely. In fact, most of the law that uh, 
that is formed in, in, in this state at least isn't up to the appellate level or certainly the Supreme Court level. It's done at conciliation court or district court or what we call a housing court where most people are pro se. Uh, it's awfully hard to when, when you owe 600 bucks in back rent and that's why you're being evicted. It's awfully hard for a lawyer to say, OK, pay me 1200 bucks and I'll represent you. Exactly. The numbers just don't add up for uh, representation. Um, some lawyers try to try to create a market where they'll do kind of a high volume um, and, and do a, a lot of cases for a low price. But it's, it's not really a lucrative field. Um, so the majority of, of lawyers that do. You know, exclusively landlord-tenant law in our state, and I'm sure many other states, are on the tenant side working for nonprofits, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's that's what I do. So yeah, pro se. Uh, again, that's sort of the core of what we deal with. Um, the most common reason somebody calls us is the landlord won't fix something. There's a procedure in our state called a rent escrow. Many other states have a similar process um, where the tenant can eventually, if necessary, take the landlord to court. Uh, in a sort of quasi small claims court type setting, um, the the fee, in fact, in our state is capped at the same price as small claims court. Um, it's it's actually it refers to it in the statute that it's tied to that same thing, trying to sort of replicate the feel and the accessibility uh, of small claims court. So so, t- that, so tell me, like when when someone calls, um, h- how do you? Because my experience with talking to potential clients, not not as many as you, but um, is that they they usually have um, they tend to give me a lot of stuff that I don't need, and buried in there is the stuff I do. And how do you get that conversation to be productive as quickly as possible? Yeah, that is a skill. There's no question about it. And and I've done especially because you've years. got yeah you've got many more phone calls to answer. Right, I've done this for 20 years, and I I remember when I started, a phone call might take an hour. Um, and now they are closer to, to 10 minutes or 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes if it's really complicated. But uh, it's a matter of efficiency. Uh, and in, in my experience, it's tone related. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't mind efficiency. If you're sort of upfront about it needing to be efficient and why, um, but polite. You don't have to be a jerk and say, hey, look, you got five minutes of my time, which is very valuable. Um, I'd much rather not even say that sentence. But intimate it with, you know what, I, I understand you want to tell me everything. I'm going to be able to help you better, though, if I understand some key uh, basic points first. So let me just ask you some direct questions. And then you go into that sort of approach, which honestly, I don't think is specific to my line of work as a lawyer. I think pretty much any lawyer would benefit from being efficient with <laughs> with interviewing their client. As, Although as I suppose as it, it helps when you, you already know that area of law well enough that you know what the questions that you really need to know are. You're, you're triaging almost. Well, that's a fair point. It's true. I, I know this area of the law really well. If you ask me about bankruptcy law or you know criminal law, I'm just guessing uh, mm-hmm. based on what I've seen on TV at this point. Law school is such a distant memory, it wouldn't do me any good. <laughs> so, so yeah, you're right. An area of expertise uh, does certainly help. Which, you know, hey, if you're answering the phone, you probably ought to have some expertise in <laughs> the types of cases you're taking. Sure, um, sure. So, um, so you get that around and, and what, like, what do you find is, is the pro se people who are calling you need to know what, or what are they most curious about and, and how do you kind of get them in the right frame of mind to go into court and assert their rights effectively or go back to talk to somebody and assert their rights effectively? Sure. Okay. Well, the most common court cases I deal with where I'm helping somebody go into court pro se, um, so pro se assisted as you call it, 
uh, would be security deposit cases, damage deposit, security deposit, other states, people call them different things, but it's usually money that the tenant pays up front, and they, at the beginning of the tenancy, they get the money back when they move out as long as they didn't damage the place. So it's frequently a fact-based issue. It's not typically a, a what does the statute say or what is the legal theory. It's did the dog really wreck the carpet? Mm-hmm. And what was the carpet worth when the tenant moved out after being in the place for five years? Those are the sorts of things that we deal with a lot where we're helping people go into court. Uh, and so my first analysis always is, uh, if this went to court, does the tenant really have a chance to win? And I, I, will, I will never guarantee for a client um, that they'll win in court. I will sometimes basically guarantee that they'll lose. <laughs> if you go to court, you should lose. Or if, if I was the judge and I just work on behalf of tenants, I'd still rule against you because the facts are so badly against you or the law is. So I, I do How do you break to that t- news? Well, number one, you you can't break it instantly. You have to listen to the question first because some of the time what what a client really wants is they want a chance to be heard at some point. And sometimes that means they need to be heard by a judge. Uh, even if they lose, they're happy that they stood up and asserted their rights and somebody listened. So if I'm telling somebody that they're not going to win in court, I do have to listen to that extent. I have to listen long enough to be able to say, I get what you're asking, right? I'm not dismissing the key elements. I understand what you're asking. And knowing that, I still think if you went to court, you wouldn't have a, a very good chance. Again, if, if you rush to that conclusion, people are going to be not thrilled. Um, and it'll leave a pretty bad taste in, in your mouth. I, I've told lots of people they'll lose in court. Some of the time they're upset, but most of the time they just say, well, you know what, I just needed to check into this because it didn't feel right and I wanted to know what I could do with anything. And so there's sort of an appreciation, especially if you talk about what it would have cost them to go past you to go file the case. Maybe there's a filing fee. Depending on their income, they might not have to pay a filing fee, but they might have to pay a filing fee. Uh, maybe losing half a day or a full day of work, um, plus some paperwork, plus some anxiety. It's one of those things that lawyers maybe forget once you've been in court enough, I guess, that you know, court is a, uh, a nervous time for most people. You know, let me hold, before we yeah. before we talk about that. Let me back you up because you you dropped something in that that I think is um, a big sort of myth about the judicial system that it sounds like you probably encounter repeatedly and need to dispel. And and my wife is also a lawyer and and she works for te- with teachers um, who are are trying to assert their rights and and it comes up a lot too, which is that people just want their day in court. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a large part of her job and, and a large part, large part of most of our jobs, I think, is explaining to people that it's not what you think, <laughs> right? Well, like your day yeah, in court and, is... Yeah, there's nothing fun about it. Right. It's not, it's not, there's no public that you're informing. Um, <laughs> right. for, like that's, I, I don't know what people think that means to get their day in court. Um, but it, I think they often, I, I don't know, what's your sense of that? What it, do they think that the media is going to be there to pick up their case or or do they just want to tell somebody who's neutral about it like what what do they think is what, what are they looking for yeah that's a that's a really good question i honestly think uh, with my clientele especially um a lot of them think that they're going to get something like what they see on tv mm-hmm. uh judge judy. judge judy or people's court or whatever that they think that there's some fair person that they kind of trust 
whether it's wise to trust <laughs> Judge Judy after watching her for a few minutes. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but people do have this familiarity with her show. So they think, you know what? She's always on the right side. She yells at the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they think that if they get in front of somebody like Judge Judy, the other side is going to get yelled at. Um, I'm not kidding that that's something that hmm. our clients actually, I, I've had clients that have sued for $3,000. They go to court, they win uh, all $3,000 and they're upset because the judge didn't yell at the other side. Mm. Yeah. So they actually sort of expect a, a, a mini TV show. They're expecting like a, a sort of a parental like scolding. Yeah, I think I think that's what some of our clients actually want. Uh, and again, I'm not sure that I blame them entirely. There's a lot of those shows on TV, and, and they seem to do well if they yell at the loser, uh, ratings-wise. So, you know, I, want, uh, I, I once handled a, a case that was a, it was a landlord-tenant case, and I can't remember exactly what was at issue here, but um, but eventually I got to the bottom of what was really going on, and there was a husband and wife who were suing their landlord, and it turned out that the landlord was a really handsome guy and the wife was an attractive woman and the husband was kind of a, um, you know, he'd lost his job. He was feeling down about the world. Mm-hmm. And um, what he really needed is to kick sand in the handsome guy's face. Like <laughs> well, that's, that's... <laughs> that's what he wanted out of this case. And, yeah. and to him, it was good enough if that landlord wrote a check with his signature on it to, that, to his family that would kind of do it. That was his symbolic victory over the good-looking guy. He needed to kick sand in the bully's face. Yeah, and, and I will talk to clients commonly that will say, you know what, I want to go to court. This isn't about the money. They'll say some phrase like that. And, and I'll have to point out to them that that's Actually, all the judge is, is going to decide. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have the power or the interest in deciding anything beyond how much money you win or don't win. That's what, all what, they they, do. what do your clients do with that? When you're like, when you kind of break it to them, you're like, no, actually it's about the money, whether you want it to be or not. Well, I, I, I'll explain, look, you're going to fill out a complaint. You're going to fill out a form that says what you're suing for. And if you write down on there, this isn't about the money, the judge will just <laughs> stop the case at the beginning. They won't even listen to the case. I'm sorry. So you're suing for zero. Well, I, you know, I can move on to the next case. Good news for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's always about the money, at least in small claims court. Now, look, if you have a, a custody dispute, that's never about the money necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's about who actually has the, the right to be in charge of the kid. So there's courts where that could be the case, where it's not about the money. But so frequently, it is about the money. That's all it's about. Right. Um, okay, so you were getting into uh, kind of dispelling the nervousness um, uh, and kind of getting your getting clients in the right frame of mind to actually go into court and not shoot themselves in the foot. Right, right. This is a, it's a, again, lawyers forget how tense you are when you do your first, I mean, if you think back to your first moot court appearance in law school, how completely freaked out you probably were. Um, just nervous beyond belief because you weren't sure what was going to happen. You didn't really have much of a frame of reference. And most civilians don't go to court. I mean, they just, they don't have court cases. They don't sue anybody. They never get sued. They don't have a lot of experience with court. People that might have some court experience, maybe their parents had a divorce and they were somehow a witness in a custody dispute. So they hate court. I mean, jury duty is one of those things that people just abhor, uh, which mystifies me, but they, they do because A, it's time, B, it's court and they're nervous about it. So 
court is a place that people get nervous. And, and one of the things that I tell my clients is, look, every time I go to court, I'm nervous and I'm trained for this, right? If you're not nervous going into court, there's probably something that you're overlooking. You, sh- you should be nervous because it's a big deal and you don't have control. But there's some things you can use to help you. The first one is the public speaking myth, like you talked about for a second there. People think that being in court is public speaking, and, and it is technically, right? You're out in the public. The public is invited. If the public cares, they could go watch your case. But if you go to the courthouse uh, any day in a city and uh, go to the front desk and say, where are cases being heard today? Mm-hmm. And, and you walked into the 20 courtrooms that they're actually doing cases, you'll see that almost all of them are completely empty. Right? There's a judge, there's a bailiff, there are the parties. If there's a jury, they're there. There's two or three people hanging out in the audience, and that's about it. It's right. not really a public speaking forum. You're not giving a speech or a show or a presentation. This and is, nobody really cares about your case. Right. Look, in, in small claims court, where I'm telling people to go, maybe there's 20 cases being heard in a two-hour block, but everybody else that's waiting for their case when your case is called they don't care what you're saying. They're looking at their notes. They're looking at their pictures. They're thinking about what they're going to do to win their case. They, they don't even necessarily even some of the acoustics in some of these rooms. You can't even really hear the people that well. Just the judge can hear. Uh, and so it's not really public speaking. My, so my, to, it my, almost my, would pay off to have like uh, to, to just to settle people's nerves uh, to get them to the courtroom, like a checklist of where to park and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, kind of uh, maybe a description of what it what it's actually like. I, could you, do you even have like, I feel like I want to email people a picture of the courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea, but people will ask those questions. Yeah. Where do I park? Uh, and, and one of the things I always start off with is sort of a disclaimer. I don't mean to insult you. I, I don't care how smart you are, what your education level is, but I'm going to give you the same checklist that I give everybody else. Number one, if you're late, you lose. Mm-hmm. That's basically it for most civil hearings is if you're late, you're going to lose and you can try to open it up in a default judgment kind of setting, but it's a hassle if you can do it at all. So you got to be on time. You can't, you can't drink anything. You can't smoke. <laughs> I still tell people that, which is bizarre, but I still mention it. Uh, you can't chew gum. You can't eat. Uh, leave your cell phone in the car, or at the very least, make sure you turn it off. I, I honestly don't trust people to ever turn their phones off. I just don't <laughs> think they do. Do you tell them to dress up? I do. I mean, people will ask really specific stuff about that. And I don't mean to be sexist, but, but women tend to ask much more involved questions about that than men. Men will ask. Uh, maybe it's the fact that men have so few levels of dress, right? You have a suit, and then I guess something below that would be something with a tie, and maybe there's four or five other levels below that. But I, I think women just have a lot more options as far as levels of professionalism, how they can dress. What I always tell people is, look, you're not going to wear a wedding dress or a prom dress or a tuxedo. But how does dressing respectfully hurt your case? I, I just don't see how that possibly could. And, and you'll see people that show up. I'm sure you've seen it in, in the courthouse. All the time. Where people wear cut-off jeans with paint all over them. And, <laughs> and I always just think, well, I, I don't know how that helps you. I, maybe you were so busy that you couldn't change into a decent pair of pants, but I don't know how that can possibly help you. The judge might be put off by that. You want to maximize your chances of success in dressing nicely certainly does that. I, I will um, say, it, I don't yeah. think it necessarily comes across poorly if what you're wearing is in the vein of a uniform. Oh, no, absolutely so right. So, like, that's if you're a carpenter exception. and you show yep. up with your tool belt, it, that's not necessarily bad. You know, I, I don't even care about an 18-year-old kid wearing their, you know, fast food uniform mm-hmm. because it looks like, on some level, you're responsible. 
Yeah. But you shouldn't, you know, go to the costume shop and say, make me look like a realtor. <laughs> right. You're not a realtor. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you look like you are a construction worker. Uh, no, I work at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what was on sale at the costume shop. That would be bad, right. So, we're going to take two minutes from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what I think is the hardest part of this, which is, and Mike calls it editing. Uh, and I think it, you know, it's teaching somebody how to present evidence and make an argument to a judge when you're not going to be there to help. Today, we journey to the center of a lawyer's mind. This is Jeff. I'm stepping into his brain now. Jeff's brain is working on the case of a lifetime. Unfortunately, it's distracted with scheduling issues, documents, and timesheets. We need to act fast. I'm giving Jeff Clio, the cloud-based system that manages a lawyer's day-to-day operations. Clio handles your cases, billing, appointments, accounting. Everything you need to run your practice. There, that's better. With Clio, Jeff's brain can focus on what Jeff does best. Get the law practice manager more lawyers trust. Sign up for a free trial at clio.com slash lawyer or call 844-500-CLIO. That's 844-500-CLIO. This podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. Now, Ruby is a sponsor, but I was also a paying customer. Ruby answered the phones for my law firm, so I know what I'm talking about when I say you really should give Ruby a try. And you should. Callers regularly told me how nice my receptionist was. Ruby made it easy for me to make my clients feel well cared for when they called. But what really made Ruby stand out for me was the way they treated me. If you've heard me talk about Ruby before, you've probably heard this story already, but when my first daughter was born, I pulled up the Ruby app on my phone on the way to the hospital and updated my status so Ruby would know to hold my calls for 48 hours because I was going to be in the hospital for the birth of my first child. And then a few days later, when I checked in at my office, there was a little care package with a really nice onesie and a rattle and a bib and a couple of other things. And I was just so touched by that, obviously, because I'm still telling the story and now my daughter is six. But the point is that Ruby knows how to take care of people, both you and your callers. And I'm confident you will be just as happy with Ruby as I still am, because Ruby is still answering the phones now at Lawyerist. So you should give Ruby a try. And to do that, you just need to go to callruby.com slash lawyerist and sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. And if you aren't happy for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks with Ruby. I'm pretty sure you will stick around, though. But since there's no risk, you might as well try. So, Mike, um, when you have somebody on the phone or in front of you, how do you coach them how to present a case? Yeah, that's, that is a hard thing to do. And, and it takes just some thought. I don't think this is a really experience-based thing, but I think it's just a thought thing. You have to always think, what's the judge going to be budgeting for this kind of case, time-wise? How much effort are they going to put into this case? Uh, again, going back to my security deposit example, I, I know that these cases, just like the ones on TV, uh, actually, are about 10 minutes. That's mm-hmm. not 10 minutes to present your side, 10 minutes total. I know how full the calendars are for these cases, and I know how, the, how many they have to hear in, in a certain amount of time. So they have to get right to the point. Um, I use a few different expressions. You always want to lead with your best punch. You're not looking for a big finish because you don't know if you're going to get to the big finish. At some point, the judge might just cut you off. 
So what I will do with a security deposit dispute, let's say a landlord has listed five things, reasons why they're keeping the deposit, I'll try to find the weakest one of those, in my, in my opinion. And, and then we'll exploit that as thoroughly as we can in a one or two minute assessment. Um, and, and so that's what I'll tell a tenant to do going into court. Look, this is an example of how I think this is unfair. And then they talk about the details and maybe they, they show the judge a picture or two. Now, if, if you have this type of case or many other types of cases and you have a client that's thinking about going pro se, they might show up in your office with, I'm not kidding, 100 or 200 pictures. Mm-hmm. And they want to show them all to the judge. And they think that that's going to somehow help them win just the mountain of, of overwhelming evidence. But a judge isn't going to look at 100 or 200 pictures, especially in this setting. They're going to look at one or two. So what I try to do is I try to help them pick out which one or two really say what you're trying to say, because that's what you're trying to figure out how to do. Um, there's some other things you, that I try you, to... Do, yeah. Is it worth trying to teach people how to lay a foundation for evidence. I mean, I know we're in conciliation court, so that's not necessarily the the important piece, but um, do you spend any time talking to people about how to how to establish the authenticity of their their pictures or their documents and things like that? Yeah, I, I do. And sometimes I have clients to go straight to district court or they're appealing from conciliation court to go to district court where the rules of evidence become right. suddenly back in play. You're right. In a small claims court setting, they don't really care about the rules of evidence. Hearsay can sometimes come in depending on the judge's mood that day, honestly. Um, so, yeah, you try to sort of illustrate that. I, I will say there is a percentage of judges out there that will bend over backwards to accommodate a pro se uh, litigant. Hmm. They'll say, hey, look, you want to show me a picture? You've got to do the following three steps. And they'll say that once or maybe twice, hoping that the the that person will figure it out. And then from now on, they'll, they'll do it correctly. I've seen other judges and heard of other judges saying, look, if you don't do it right, I'm not, this is district court. You know, this isn't a fake court. This isn't practice court. You've got mm-hmm. to do it right or else you're sunk. But I think the, the number of judges going that route is decreasing over time. And look, we're just getting more pro se litigants going into all types of hearings. And a judge has to be somewhat mindful of the perception of that court system, right? Because they might be the one time in that person's entire life that they're in front of a, a judge or a court. And if they can't at least appear to listen, right? And then if you say, you know what, I'm not going to look at your picture. You didn't say the magic words. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really hard to convince that person. They got a fair shot when they, you know, when they lose the case, I had evidence. They wouldn't even look. This is kind of, this is an example of the courts, um, adapting to realities, right? That just, I mean, I think we've, it, we hear the number over and over 70 or 80% of people in family court are representing themselves, whether or not they want to be. Um, I, you know, in, in, in housing court and with housing court cases that have been removed to district court, I'm sure it's the same. It is. I mean, it, so you're right. Judges have to allow for this on some level, but some judges just won't. They just won't. And they'll say, you know what, this is, this is this level of court. And at this level, we don't, you know, we expect you to be presenting a case like a lawyer would. And if a judge says that it's, and it's a pro se party, especially against a represented party, mm-hmm. uh, there's no way that that pro se party is going to think that they had a shot. Right. Uh, they, they just won't. Do you hear back from um, clients? Like, how do, how do you know that this works? Um, do you, do you get results? 
Yeah, I, look, I love it when somebody calls me up and say, you know, I, I went to court, I sued for $2,000 and I won all $2,000 and the landlord wrote me a check that day. And, and I'd like to apologized. make a donation to Homeline. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I love those. But to be honest, the ones that I feel the best about are where somebody calls me up and says, you know what, I went to court and I, I did my best. I, I think I put in the evidence I want, wanted to and, and the judge ruled against me. But you know what? I, I didn't just roll over. I didn't let the landlord bully me. And so even though I didn't win, I don't feel like I was a victim um, because at least I stood up. Um, and, and those always really resonate with me more than anything else. I'm not sure if that's a personal thing for me, but that's always felt like sort of as an officer of the court, at least, you you know, they didn't feel like it was such a rigged system that they, they didn't have a chance. They, they thought, well, at least the judge thought about it probably thought about it more because of the, the help that I gave them getting ready to go to court, but ultimately decided that the other side's evidence was just better uh, or more compelling. So I, I really find that rewarding. And that's how I know is that people will let us know, you know, how, how it went. Sometimes I'll spend, if somebody's going to go to small claims court, I'll spend an hour with them, you know, prepping everything. I might even help write the complaint, um, citing specific statutes, uh, which can really help because in small claims court, especially uh, a judge might not know, uh, the statute before mm-hmm. you get there. Um, people are convinced that judges know every law. <laughs> and I don't know if you've seen a law library, but they're big. <laughs> yeah. so at least they used to be when they had books in them. Yeah. Um, you know, it strikes me that uh, this is the kind of thing, and I, I know some lawyers that do this, and I used to do a little bit of it, but um, but whatever we're going to call it, assisted procès or, or coaching or unbundled services, um, this is something that um, you can do at a pro bono organization for your if you want to volunteer your time. But it also seems to me like uh, you could easily charge for these consultations and um, make a little bit of money doing this. Does yeah, I, yeah. I, there was an article I wrote for Lawyerist about how to make money in in uh, small claims court that was published uh, late last year uh, that covered that exact topic. That almost every lawyer. Um, is qualified to give people advice to go to small claims court to, mm-hmm. to, to maximize their chances of success, mostly because you're going to look at their mountain of evidence and you're going to say, not that much, right? It's just not worth it. And so if a client pays you, you know, $200 to uh, look at their case for an hour, uh, that's probably money well spent. Uh, again, you might tell them you might lose if you go to court with this. Or you might, like I say, maximize their chances by helping them get to the point uh, effectively and, and ignore the stuff that won't help them. And I suppose in some cases, you become the, um, going back to that wanting somebody to hear them out, um, you may become the person who hears them out. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I don't want to make lawyers suddenly the, the people that have to maintain the integrity of the system when the court system is really what we're talking about here. Yeah. But yeah, I think a lawyer has a duty. And I think most lawyers do this. They, they meet with a client and they say, this case has no shot. Do you really want to run up a bill for a case that you know you're going to lose? I, I don't think most lawyers do that. Now, we all know some lawyers that do that. Right. But I don't think any of us aspire to that. Um, and, you know, I, I again, our, our service is free, so it doesn't really cost me anything either way to tell somebody that. It's just I want to make sure that they they do have a chance to go to court before they go fill out the paperwork. Well, and, and I guess uh, I, I think that another thing that probably works really well is that you do have a deep knowledge of this area of law, and so you can be really effective with that time. 
Um, when I when I was dealing with debt collection lawsuits, we did something similar where people would come into it, and this was a clinic, so this was a, a pro bono as well. Um, but we also did almost exa- the identical thing at the firm. Um, people would come in and we would help them answer the complaint and put together discovery requests. And we were able to do that in about a half an hour because we had really good forms and templates that we could just fill out while the person was sitting there with us. Um, and we would put them in envelopes and, and lick the stamps and um, and put, you know, notarize the affidavits and put them in the mail. Um, so you can actually accomplish quite a lot that way to move the case forward or to coach somebody. Um, we actually coached people to handle summary judgment motions and some of them won um, in district court. And so you can actually do quite a lot with assisted pro se, I think. And I think it's an effective way to volunteer, but it's also an effective way to sort of um, to not turn away people who are willing to spend some money, but not as much as you ordinarily charge. One other perk, I think, for uh, a lawyer who's thinking about either charging very little for pro se assist kind of work or maybe working at a clinic or something like that is it's a way to expand your areas of expertise. Hmm. Um, if you really want to do, you know, you've just decided you're not making a decent living doing whatever kind of law you're practicing and you think that family law is really the way to go, but I don't know how to learn it, right? I'm a practicing lawyer. I can't just go take a family law class. What good will that do me? It's probably a place where you can volunteer for, you know, low-income folks that are trying to get no-contest divorces or something like that. So you can sort of get your feet wet while still helping people. Or maybe you're going to help draft wills for former veterans or something like that. There's all kinds of things. If you just look around, you can get this area of expertise, and then suddenly you're not just a uh, a lawyer who does mergers and acquisitions. You can do <laughs> wills, too. And and I think it probably what you do depends on how much you're willing to dive in, of course. Oh, but, absolutely. But like if you're a litigator, those litigation skills translate to any style of litigation because you know, as as you pointed out at the outset, a lot of the things that people need to know are how to get to the courthouse, how to dress, um, um, how to check in. I, that's one of the things that drives me crazy is very few courtrooms have any sort of obvious way to check in and let somebody know that you're there. Sure. <laughs> um, you're right. And your case might get missed because yeah. you didn't show up on time officially. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, so just little things like that. And then and then I think that you, you talk about it as editing, but helping somebody present their case and understand um, that, you know, their their long backstory about their many beefs with their landlord have absolutely nothing to do with whether or not, um, you know, they're, they're gonna, their landlord owes them money because of pee stains on the carpet. Right. Um, my, my, my favorite way to introduce <laughs> these things, if I, if, you know, I'm telling somebody, the judge says at the beginning of the case, go, tell me why you should win. I, I like to say, judge, I, I, can, I can cover my issues in three minutes. And here, here are the key ones. You've let the judge know that it's going to be a brief amount of time. Mm-hmm. You've, I, hopefully, like I told them, they've practiced this at home, so they know it's under three minutes. Um, and, and then they just go right into the issues. Uh, and if they've done it a couple of times, chances are they won't race through it completely. They'll actually speak long enough, and especially if there's one or two pieces of evidence that they have to show the judge. Uh, by the way, you asked about introducing evidence. I, I always tell people, just ask the judge. Judge, I'd like to show you this picture. Is there some formal procedure I need to go through, or mm-hmm. can I just show it to you? Mm-hmm. And the judges, even in the district court cases, they're usually going to say, well, there is, but here's what you need to do. Um, so anyhow, that, that's what I like them to do is have this prepared time limited, and you announce the time limit at the beginning of it, which tells the judge, okay, I know I've got time to listen, so I'm going to give you three minutes. Go ahead. Hmm. I like that. Um so what, uh, if you could offer some parting words of wisdom to somebody who wants to jump in and start 
um, taking calls and coaching people and, and that sort of thing. Uh, what would be the, the best way for a lawyer taking their first call to walk through this whole thing? Again, you're right. You've got to figure out some area of the law that you think that you have a, a, an area of expertise or you want to develop one. Um, and at some point, you are going to have to jump in the pool and take that first call. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe, it's, maybe it is a CLE that you take on that specific area of the law, or you contact some agency or nonprofit that does this type of work, and you figure out how to do that. Or you just decide you want to do small claims court consulting work. And maybe you go watch a couple sessions, a couple afternoons. You go watch uh, small claims court just to figure out the process and the logistics and, and then rely on the training that you have as a lawyer to, to make things efficient in court. Uh, and as you've used my word m- multiple times, edit things. so they're <laughs> You know, I, I guess I would also say that going and sitting in conciliation court, uh, small claims court, whatever, is probably if you are going to represent consumers, like whether you know, tenants, um, uh, anybody in personal injury cases, um, consumer law cases, anything involving normal non-business people and maybe even small businesses, um, there's probably no better way to get a window into the way your clients think about legal problems than to go sit in small claims court and just watch. It really is. I mean, just an hour or two when you're down at the courthouse and you're waiting for something, it it can be very instructive. It's true. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much. And um, listeners, definitely check out um, some of Mike's articles on uh, on doing this, uh, which are really helpful if you want some additional resources. And uh, Mike, thanks so much for being with us today and talking about how to build, um, how to counsel clients who want to handle their own legal issues. Thank you, Sam. make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>